The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, kids, let's travel the world together. She can make it easy and in any kind of weather. No TSA, no bad checks, no patting down. She's talking from the skies and sending lives a feel good sound. Traveling, there's no doubt. Betty and the Jets. Oh, she's weird and wonderful. Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen. She's wearing high heel shoes. Got her wings on, too. You know, I've never seen a better stew. Oh, Betty and the Jets. Hello and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. If this sounds, if the recording sounds a little different, uh, I had my recorder stolen on my last layover in Madrid. Uh, but luckily, um, I had pre-recorded almost all of the stories for this episode, so it's really only the intro and the exit, uh, just maybe three minutes that I'm having to record on my cell phone, which isn't nearly as good. I I swear I must have tempted fate on that Madrid trip because on the flight over, two of the flight attendants had talked about how you have to be careful and there's a lot of pickpockets there. Uh, you know, it's another big city. And I actually said, which I shouldn't have, because I do think I was probably tempting fate, is I said, oh, you know, it's really surprising all the traveling that I do, how, you know, I really haven't had anything stolen. <laughs> sure enough, bing, <laughs> on that trip, uh, I was downtown and I felt something and I hurried up and whipped around and I saw this guy kind of run away. And I think he was obviously going for my wallet, but he got my recorder and he probably thought that was my wallet. But, uh, you know, I really can't complain and all the traveling I've done. But uh, I didn't want to have to wait to get a new recorder from Amazon delivered. So just a few little bit of this, you know, little snippets here and there are going to be on my uh, less than perfect <laughs> recording cell phone mechanism. But in this episode, we have an airline X-file, some uh, addicted flight attendants, a passenger behaving very badly, a couple puke stories, and a tearjerker. Let's get on with the show. This is uh, an airline, I call it an airline X-file. Detroit crew, somebody went down to go on break, first one down there, and when she gets down to the bottom, there's this lady sitting on bunk one. Oh, in the crew rest in area? In the crew rest area. A regular person? Regular person. And she's going, ma'am, you're not supposed to be down here. We need to get you out. She goes, the lady goes, my husband needs help. Please help my husband. She goes, okay, ma'am, we'll, t- we'll help him, but we need to get you out of here. And she wouldn't budge, and she kept saying, 
please go help my husband. My husband needs help. Somebody else showed up and sees and is talking to the, and they're doing their best to get this lady to leave, and she's just not budging and keeps saying, please go help my husband. He needs help. So they finally get a seat out of her. They go to the, to the husband. They said, sir, we need to talk to you about your wife. She's in a place where we need to have her moved, removed from. He goes, why are you doing this? My wife died on vacation. Her body is in the belly. I'm taking her home to be, 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 be buried. Turns out, when she said he needs help, he was having a medical condition going on at that time and did need medical attention. And when they got back to the crew bus, crew rest, she was gone. And I've heard that the story has not changed through a number of Detroit people, so it's... So, no, wait, so um, was he okay then after she said he needed help? And I think because he, they got, because they went, went and saw there. that he needed, that he was okay after and, that. And they wouldn't have gone to him if... if right, uh, because he wasn't calling for help or... Right. So... amputees, weren't they? They were San Antonio Amputee Foundation, and they were various men and women who had lost a limb to reasons such as diabetes, or they were also in the military or car accident. And so we had a, a man in the back galley, and he was a large strapping man, and a passenger came to the back to use the bathroom, and they these amputees were all wearing jackets with the logo. So she was looking at this man up and down and over and sideways. Because he to, was with the amputees. Yeah, he had one of those jackets on, but she couldn't figure out what, what limb he was missing. And of course, I thought, well, maybe he's missing his willy, but you know, you can't see that, and you also can't ask that. No. So, in any case. <laughs> We asked him, and he said he was the medic for the group. They were going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Which is impressive. Yeah, yeah. I, nothing I would want to do with yeah. all my faculties. Yeah. <clears throat> but So then another gentleman came back, and we couldn't figure out what he was missing, and so we asked him in what capacity was he traveling with right. the group, and he was the, uh, the uh, what was he now? The second man? They said they had a prostitute. No, that was the third one. But, yeah. Because, oh, no, the second one was the physical therapist. Oh, okay. And at that time, another lady who was standing there with a, 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 a prosthetic foot, she said, yes, we also have a prostitute. But in, we heard prostitute, of course. But well, you, she Your really looks meant, on your faces were probably like, you have a prostitute? We have, you have your own personal prostitute? What a great... But no, it was a prosthetist. Prosthetist, yes. The prostheses, yes. One of our more colorful flight attendants. That's my favorite term, actually, colorful. Colorful. Got on the airplane one day and she had something hanging out of her bag and someone asked what it was and went, is that your panties? She goes, oh yeah, and there was thongs, and she was hanging out, and she wouldn't. She was very proud about it, looking out. She just left them there, she didn't put them, them there, away? Yeah, didn't put them away. Back at Republic, our stir sticks used to be solid. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had a little, and we had first class, uh, no first class for the longest time. It was all right. one unaccompanied minor, little girl about eight years old, nine years old, thought she was a princess, flying one morning, Asked for a cup of coffee, cream and sugar. Really? Gave it to her, and I went, okay. 
I looked around and she has got that stir stick in her mouth, sucking her brains in. Oh, trying to get it trying through. To, and I said, that's not a straw. She goes, I know that. <laughs> surprised when I hear something new. I mean, I just always think that I've heard most things, you know, about the airplane, on the airplane, flight attendants, all that stuff. So I was uh, working with this girl. And when we got to Amsterdam, she could not wait to get outside to smoke a cigarette. And I said to her, oh, you know, that must be really hard for you. You know, if you know, you're really addicted to go those long flights, you know, with, you know, what do you do about the withdrawals? And she goes, oh, I don't really have withdrawals. She's kind of whispering. And I'm thinking, why? She goes, oh, you know, I have something figured out. I'm like, what? I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, she must smoke in the bathroom or something. This is what I was thinking. But it was worse than that. <laughs> she goes, oh, yeah, you know, I um, I take some chewing tobacco and I put it in there, you know, like even when I'm serving. And then that, that helps with my patience and, uh, you know, my withdrawal and stuff. And I'm like, you what? <laughs> Wait, What? I said, you mean you're 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 working on the beverage cart w- with chewing tobacco in your mouth? And she's like, yeah, I just put a little in there, so you know you can't really see it. And, <laughs> and she's whispering because you know you're not supposed to do this, of course. Nobody is supposed to be chewing chewing tobacco on the plane. But she's like, nobody can see it because I don't put that much in there. And I'm like, yeah, but w- where do you spit? You know, I'm thinking you can't be on the beverage cart like. <laughs> she goes, I swallow it. I'm like, you what? Because I swallow it. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's chewing, chewing tobacco in her uniform, working on the cart, and then swallowing it. Oh, yuck. And she goes, oh no, it cleans you out. <laughs> it cleans you out. <laughs> well, you know how we get drug tested? Yeah. And about 30 minutes out, they get a call and she was getting drug tested yeah. and she goes she had this really panicked look on her face and I go I go are you okay like is there a problem um, and she goes she goes shit she goes um, I just she goes I I've done coke and I said I said well how long ago did you do it right. and she goes about five minutes ago <laughs> well that is a problem and they said, they said, you didn't share? But thankfully, the amazing thing is, it didn't make it into a urine. Oh, because it was too recent. Right, because it was too recent. So she was fine? So she was actually, yeah. That's actually shocking. Oh, five minutes. Just five minutes ago. Just five minutes. We're standing in the back of the galley. And a gentleman comes to the back to chat with us in the middle of the night. And we were talking about men not following instructions or some such. And he said, well, he is uh, married and he has three daughters. So he has learned to listen to women. And plus his his wife is an Orien, so she's very smart. And we were thinking, is he saying Oriental? And so she's smart. But he wasn't saying that. We said, what? What is your wife? She's an Orian. And we looked at each other. And then we finally figured it out because of his Alabama accent. He was saying RN. She's a nurse. And yet we totally heard Orian. So I said to the man, because we, 
he was saying how women tell him what to do and how to do it, and he was okay with that. Because of that, I felt free to say to him, you know, if somebody doesn't understand what you're saying, you might try using different words. <laughs> he says to me, oh, no, no, no. I find that if I speak louder and say the same thing over again, it doesn't work. <laughs> Okay, it was a flight leaving from leaving from Shanghai, and it was going to Tokyo, back to Tokyo. And right on takeoff, this this man in uh, business class starts having a heart attack. It's like get the equipment, and but he's he's still breathing and everything. So giving him oxygen and everything. His wife, he's an Indian man. His his wife is sitting at the, at the window, and she goes. He's dying. He's dying. Give me his rings. And they're like, where her priorities are. And and she's like, no, ma'am. Your husband's gonna be fine. He can hear you. (laughs) He can hear you. So, you know, we're turning around. We're going back, and you know, we're gonna get medical assistance. Give me your rings. So, so the. ambulance people yeah Yeah. they come on paramedics Paramedics, thank you paramedics come on and because they're women they just push them out of the way and they start giving them cpr and she goes the man's heart is still beating stop doing that and they're just like and um, she and she's like stop doing that well now his wife is wife is fearful so she's so she's down on her knees next to him has her knee on his elbow and she's trying to get his rings off she goes she goes he's dying he's dying give me his rings i need the jewelry every once in a while i get a story in my email that just really touches me this came from kind of a long route to me but uh i got it from a listener named lana thank you lana and uh She got it from somebody named Keith Clark on a Facebook page called In Our World, and he got it from a website called Air News Live. Okay, and this is, it's kind of a long story, but I just think it's um, very touching. So it says, on the morning of September 11th, we were about five hours out of Frankfurt flying over the North Atlantic. All of a sudden, the curtains parted, and I was told to go to the cockpit immediately to see the captain. As soon as I got there, I noticed that the crew had that all-business look on their faces. The captain handed me a printed message. It was from Delta's main office in Atlanta, and it simply read, All airlines over the continental United States are closed to commercial air traffic. Land as soon as possible at the nearest airport. Advise your destination. No one said a word about what this could mean. We knew it was a serious situation and we needed to find, you know, terra firma quickly. The captain determined the nearest airport was 400 miles behind us in Grander, Newfoundland. He requested approval for a route change from the Canadian Air Traffic Controller and approval was granted immediately. No questions asked. We found out later, of course, why there was no hesitation in approving our request. While the flight crew prepared the airplane for landing, another message arrived from Atlanta telling us about some terrorist activity in the New York area. A few minutes later, word came about 
the hijackings. We decided to lie to the passengers while we were still in the air. We told them the plane had a simple instrument problem and that we needed to land at the nearest airport in Grander, Newfoundland to have it checked out. We promised to give more information after landing in Grander. There was much grumbling around the passengers, but, you know, that's nothing new. Forty minutes later, we landed in Grander. Local time at Grander was 12.30 p.m. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time. There were already about 20 other airplanes on, on the ground from all over the world that had taken this detour on their way to the United States. After we parked on the ramp, the captain made the following announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, you must be wondering if all these airplanes around us have the same instrument problem that we have. Well, the reality is... We are here for another reason. Then he went on to explain the little we knew about the situation in the United States, that there were loud gasps and stares of disbelief. The captain informed passengers that ground control and grandeur told us to stay put. The Canadian government was in charge of our situation, and no one was allowed to get off the airplane. No one on the ground was allowed to come near any of the aircrafts. Only airport police could come around periodically, look over, and go on to their next airplane. Meanwhile, bits of news started to come in over aircraft radio, and for the first time, we learned that airplanes were flown into the World Trade Center in New York and into the Pentagon in D.C. People were trying to use their cell phones, but we were unable to connect due to a different cell system in Canada. Some did get through, though, and we were able to get uh, to the Canadian operator who would tell them that the lines of the U.S. were either blocked or jammed. Sometime in the evening, the news filtered to us that the World Trade Center buildings had collapsed and that a fourth hijacking had resulted in a crash. By now, the passengers were emotionally and physically exhausted, not to mention frightened, but everyone stayed amazingly calm. We had to only look out the window at the other 52 stranded aircraft to realize that we were not the only ones in this predicament. We had been told earlier that they would be allowing people off the airplane one plane at a time. At 6 p.m., Grander Airport told us that our turn would be to plane would be at 11 a.m. the next morning. Passengers were not happy, happy at all, you know, but they simply resigned themselves to this news without much noise and started to prepare themselves to spend the night on the airplane. Grander had promised us medical attention if ne needed, water, and lavatory servicing, and they were true to their word. Fortunately, we had no medical situations to worry about. We did have a young lady who was 33 weeks into her pregnancy. We took really good care of her. The night passed without incident, despite the uncomfortable sleeping arrangements. At 10.30 on the morning of the 12th, a convoy of school buses showed up. We got off the plane and were taken to the terminal, where we went through Immigration and Customs, and then had to register with the Red Cross. After that, we, the crew, were separated from the passengers and taken in advance to a small hotel. We had no idea where our passengers were going. We learned from the Red Cross that the town of Grander has a population of 10,400 people, and they had about 10,500 passengers to take care of from airplanes all over the world that were forced to land in Grander. We were told to relax at the hotel, and we would be contacted when the U.S. airports opened again. But not to expect that to happen for a while. We found out about the total scope of the terror back home only after getting to our hotel and turning on the TV 24 hours after it all started. Meanwhile, we had lots of time on our hands and found that people in Grando were extremely friendly. They started calling us the plane people. <laughs> 
with the plain people. We enjoyed their hospitality, exploring the town of Grandeur, and ended up having a pretty good time. Two days later, we got the call that we were taken back to the Grandeur airport, back to the plane where we were reunited with the passengers and found out what they had been doing for the past two days. What we found out was incredible. Grander and all of the surrounding communities within a 75-kilometer radius had closed all the high schools, meeting halls, lodges, and any other large gathering places. They converted all these facilities to mass lodging areas for all the stranded passengers. Some had cots set up, some had mats with sleeping bags and pillows set up. All the high school students were required to volunteer their time to take care of their guests. Our 218 passengers ended up in a town called Lewisport, about 45 kilometers from Grander, where they were put up in a high school. If any women wanted to be in a women-only facility, that was arranged. Families were kept together. All elderly passengers were taken to private homes. Remember that a young pregnant lady, while she was put up in a private home right across the street from a 24-hour urgent care facility. There was a dentist on call, and some male and female nurses remained with the crowd for the duration. Phone calls and emails to the United States and all over the world were available to everyone once a day. During the day, passengers were offered excursion trips. Excursion trips. Some people went on boat cruises of the lakes and harbors. Some went for hikes in the local forest. Local bakeries stayed open to make fresh bread for the guests. Food was prepared by all the residents and brought to the schools. People were driven to restaurants of their choice and offered wonderful meals. Everyone was given tokens for local laundromats to wash their clothes since luggage was still on the aircraft. In other words, every single need was met for those stranded travelers. Passengers were crying while telling us their stories. Finally, when they were told that the U.S. airports had reopened and they were delivered back to the airport right on time and without a single passenger missing or late, the local Red Cross had all the information and whereabouts of each and every passenger and knew which plane they needed to be on and where the planes were leaving. They they coordinated everything beautifully, and it was absolutely incredible. When passengers came on board, it was like they had been on a cruise. Everyone knew each other by name. They were swapping stories of their stay, impressing each other with who had had a better time. Our flight back to Atlanta looked like a chartered party flight. The crew just stayed out of their way, and it was mind-boggling. Passengers had totally bonded and were calling each other by the first names, exchanging phone numbers, addresses, and email addresses. And then a very unusual thing happened. One of our passengers approached me and asked if he could make an announcement over the PA system. We never allow that, but this time was different. I said, of course, and handed him the mic. He picked up the PA and reminded everyone about what they had just gone through in the past few days. He reminded them of the hospitality they had received at the hands of total strangers. He continued to say that he would like to do something in return for the good folks of Lewisport. He said he was going to set up a trust fund under the name Delta 15, which was their flight number, and the purpose of the trust fund was to provide college scholarships for the high school students of Lewisport. He asked for donations of any amount from his fellow travelers. When the paper with the donations got back to us with the amounts, names, phone numbers, and address, the total was more than $14,000. The gentleman, a doctor from Virginia, promised to match the donations and to start the administrative work on the scholarship. He also said that he would forward this proposal to Delta corporate office and ask them to donate as well. 
As I write this account, the trust fund is at more than $1.5 million and has assisted 134 students in their college education. So this is another airline, Republic? Republic. And this, this my, these two might gross you. We used to do mini hoppers in one day. I mean, eight legs a day easily. And going into somewhere through Alabama, Mississippi, Alabama, middle of the summertime, DC 9-10. Those things were notorious for people getting sick. And on the front row, we used to have also a little sign saying, see, occupied. Yeah. Front row is going to come in minor, threw up. I wasn't going to change it. We were too busy. So the passenger gets, she, and the company gets off. I put a seat occupied sign down so no one will sit in it. This lady walks on, looks at the sign, moves it, and sits down in the puke. The same leg in the back of the airplane, I had a dad and his kids, and one of the kids got air sick, and about the time he, with his hand, it squirted through the fingers. <laughs> and it did these nice little ribbons, just like... What was that stuff at Play-Doh? Like Play-Doh. Remember how it used to go through? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the puke Play-Doh. I don't know how your jump seats on the in the back of the L-1011 were on the DC-10. Door 4 jump seats stood alone. Okay. Nothing behind them. Yeah. And there was four lavatories. These two were huge. This poor military guy coming back from Iraq, he had taken an Ambien and had one drink. Got up, went to the back, thinking he was going into the lavatory. Instead, he had turned around and was peeing beside the jump seat, while right where the girl's flight attendant, where her bag was, her, her purse, filled her purse up. Filled it up. Poor guy was mortified when he found out what happened. She just picked the whole thing up and threw it away. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've actually heard that before. And then the other girl was like, the girl went back to tell the other flight attendants in the back. She's like, you aren't going to believe it. This guy peed all over in my bag. And the other girl goes, what would you do to piss him off? But I'm bummed. I want to thank any of you who, were when you were going to buy something on Amazon, went to my website, bettyinthesky.com. It doesn't cost you any more, and it supports the show. Makes me happy. Uh, this past month, I like to see what people buy. Uh, this last month, someone bought adult plush white unicorn slippers. Unicorn slippers. An ugly Christmas sweater that said, Home Alone, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. <laughs> and a, a book on journeys through the Inside Passage, adventures along the coast of British Columbia and Alaska. Gotta love that. And I also want to thank Harry from New Zealand for his uh, very generous donation via PayPal on my website, BettyInTheSky.com. Thank you so very, very much. That's all right. But this uh, flight attendant was on the uh, Tel Aviv flight and um, was on the 777 where the the bins open up, you know, how they open up. And she saw one of the bins was open, so she went and she, you know, pushed it back up, closed it, locked it. And when she did, though, she heard a bumpity-bump-bump-bump. And so... So she she went wherever, came back, and then the bin was open again. And she was like, huh. So she went back, and she put it back up, and it went bumpity bump, bump, bump. And she's like, what is going on? So you wait a little bit. She comes back, and lo and behold, the bin is open again. And she tells the people, 
I'm so sorry, but these are you guys. Oh, this bin has to stay closed during the flight. So the father gets up and he, you know, he's kind of angry, and he gets up and he reaches into the bin and gets his child Baby. who had been sleeping. Have you heard that one? Sleeping in the uh, overhead bin and takes him out and closes it up. They put the baby in the overhead bin. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. They are crazy. DC-10, another sick one though. Passengers drink beer all the way across from Amsterdam to Memphis. Proposing to half the flight attendants. I mean, proposing? guy was proposing. The guy was on approaching to Memphis. He runs by me going to the lavatory at door two. And I looked at him, I mean, some come in and go, oh, you got to go real quick, huh? And he stayed in there for landing. He had erupted all over the wall going into the lavatory, all over the wall down to my jump seat. And the lavatory was just destroyed. And he comes walking out of the lavatory, puke all over his shirt, looks green. And he looks at me and goes, I got sick. No shit. And nobody accepted any proposals. Right. <laughs> I was flying home from Rome, and you know, it's a long flight. It was 11 hours, and that's hard on anyone, but we had a lot of kids on board that day. And, uh, you know, kids' attention spans are short, <laughs> and 11 hours is rough. So there was this girl, as soon as she got on, she was nine, and as soon as she got on, she's like, toys, toys, do you have toys? And it's like, no, we don't have any toys. I think some airlines might have toys. We don't have toys. I mean, no toys. <laughs> So she would come back to the galley like every five minutes wanting something. She was, she was just bored and she was sitting with her two older brothers and they were totally ignoring her. And, uh, you know, I like kids. Uh, they don't bother me at all. And I didn't mind. And she was my favorite passenger. And I tried to entertain her since we didn't have toys. And she was so bored. And we were playing little games. And uh, I, she had asked for, you know, do we have any chocolate? And I was like, I'm not supposed to, but stay here. And I went and got her something from first class. You know, I'm not supposed to, but no harm, no foul, right? So uh, later on, the other flight attendant, um, all the three of us were back there just, you know, hanging out in the galley, <laughs> the two of us and the nine-year-old girl. And uh, the other flight attendant goes, hey, do you like uh, chocolate milk? And her eyes lit up and she's like, yeah, because we don't have chocolate milk. <laughs> But uh, she went and got the hot fudge from the ice creams from first class and some milk and mixed it up for her and made some really good, you know, some seriously good chocolate milk. So she says to her, we we all know she's sitting there with her brother. So this other flight attendant says, um, do you want to take some chocolate milk to your brothers? And she goes, no. <laughs> so this other flight attendant goes, oh, are, are your brothers mean to you sometimes? And she said, no. And the other flight attendant goes, you know, I, I have brothers. I, I know they can be mean to you sometimes. And she said, no. All the time. <laughs> this cute little girl on the airplane asked me this question. And I recorded it. And, you know, lots of times those, the kids are my favorite passengers because they ask me things like this. Oh, we're going to go to the North Pole. <laughs> <laughs> the 
This next story comes from NPR.org. This past week, a Canadian man pleaded guilty to smuggling charges in the U.S. He was caught at a border checkpoint between Detroit and Windsor. Your basic run-of-the-mill border crime, right? Sure, if smuggling 51 live turtles in your pants is run-of-the-mill. Last fall, Kai Shu was subjected to an inspection at the Canadian border after guards got a tip from U.S. agents. These agents had been following Mr. Shu after he received a suspicious package, and they noticed that his legs looked funny. They had weird-looking bulges under his sweatpants. When guards searched him at the border, they found 41 turtles taped to his legs, 10 more between his legs. You heard that right. Some of the turtles he was attempting to transport might fetch up to $800 each. Turtles in his pants. Nothing more to say, really. I was in the crew van uh, going to the hotel in Amsterdam. And, you know, you've been up all night. And you guys know I like to tell some stories. And we got on the subject of telling stories about one of my favorite flight attendants, who's infamous. And uh, she had all these stories about her. But um, she had a lot of them, uh, well, you know, part of it, probably, maybe had to do with the fact that she drank a lot. <laughs> maybe that's why she had all these, we have all these stories about her. And uh, she's now sober, but she had uh, gone to rehab once before, not uh, willingly. <laughs> she had to go to rehab. And uh, lots of times, if you have to go, it doesn't take, you know. So I'm telling all these stories and I was telling them one of the stories that I realized I probably had never told you guys. I see her in uh, the lounge, and I'm like, hey, how's it going? Because I, I knew that she had stopped drinking, and she's like, well, um, let me tell you. Baseball without beer. Sushi without sake. Sex without wine. Boring, boring, boring. I loved that story of uh, the flight attendant who was uh, coming back from her first round at rehab saying, uh, baseball without beer, sushi without sake, sex without wine, boring, boring, boring. (laughs) I hope that your new year, 2016, is not boring, boring, boring. That's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel around the world together. Thanks. Bye. I'm so far away. Have to fly full square. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. 
But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.